Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. I'm Rachel Marshall with my co-host, Bruce Weiner this morning. And today we are talking about how accredited investors can increase income through alternative investments. We have special guest Dennis Shapiro with us today of SIH Capital Group. And if you are in a position of you're saying, you know, I really want to learn more about alternative investments. I'm interested in leaving the volatility, maybe the status quo investing advice. And I really want to think about income, not just appreciation and building net worth. I want to be in a position of being separate from the stock market highs and lows. What is there in the alternative space that's available? This is a conversation that I really would encourage you to jump into. Now, Dennis is the managing partner of SIH Capital Group, and he's also the author of a brand new book that we're going to be talking about today, The Alternative Investment Almanac, Expert Insights on Building Personal Wealth in Non-Traditional Ways. So before we jump into the show, Dennis, I just want to say welcome this morning. Thank you. Awesome being here. Awesome. And Bruce, I would like to pass the mic to you for a second, as uh, I'd like to get your thoughts before we get started on this show. Yeah. So Rachel, as we always try to do with our listeners, we try to bring in uh, different points of view on the different ways that you can uh, build cash flow. And although this person uh, has a fund that is for accredited investors only, I think it's always uh, uh, helpful for people that maybe have not gotten into the uh, that category yet. <clears throat> and if you if you don't know what an accredited investor is, it has, it's somebody that has $1 million of liquid net worth, $200,000 as an individual for the last two years and expected to continue to make that $200,000 or, or $300,000 as a, uh, a, a family, a couple. And so although we're not um, endorsing this uh, through the money advantage because the SEC does not allow us to do that, uh, we certainly are just trying to expose you to different ways of thinking so that you must make sure that you check this out yourself if you are an accredited investor. If you're not an accredited investor, once again, I think uh, this is something that you you could uh, strive through. So learning and sitting and listening to Dennis, I think, will be very, very helpful. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you so much for that, Bruce. And so I want to tell you just a little bit about Dennis before we jump him into the show here. And I would really like to hear most of this from him personally. but. Um, we'll hear about how he started investing in real estate in 2012, how he um, really was able to build a cash flow, a cash flowing portfolio, and he's had multiple types of alternative investments in his journey. And he really observed that there was some key changes in the alternative asset space over that time and recognized that there's still a difficulty in finding expertise and guidance in the alternative space. And so Dennis, a lot of what you've done is a, an answer to that. And so we're really thankful to have you on the show today. Great, great. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me guys. It's absolutely awesome to be here. Awesome. Well, why don't you go ahead and share from your own journey and perspective, how did you land up to that 2012 moment when you decided to start looking in the alternative space? What was your backstory leading hey, up to hey, that? And Dennis, I think if you can go back you know, as far as possible and yeah. you know, how you got interested. I think that the listeners would really appreciate that. Sure. 
So I started kind of, it's a very similar path to most other investors, especially in the real estate world. In 2004, I believe I was in high school. Uh, my, my older brother, who was about eight years older, eight years older than me, handed me a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And yep. he was just so <laughs> excited. Uh, you know, the light bulb went off in his head and he was like, hey, you have to, you have to read this. Uh, I took the book. I think I read it one time and I was like, I think this is a scam. Uh, I was like, this guy is probably making way more money going out and doing all these shows and and pitching his product, so to say, than what's actually being said. So I was very, very cynical at that time. I just think I wasn't ready for that book at 14. Uh, but the one thing I did get out of that book, which I felt was really important, is that I should start buying assets. And I was looking around, I was talking to my high school friends, and no one had that same mindset. Mm-hmm. I was literally the only person, the only person I think I could talk to was like one of my history teachers who did like, a, who tried to incorporate like budgeting and financing into the, uh, into the curriculum. So I remember I was just like, okay, where do I get started? I, I don't think, um, I, I don't have anybody to really talk to about this. My oldest brother was telling me about mutual funds. So that's where I, I got started. I went, I started looking at uh, mutual funds. I remember I followed my own first mutual fund for a whole year when I was 14 years old. And I thought I was going to get rich any moment. And I wasn't looking at the load fees. I wasn't looking at the expense ratios. I literally think I made $7 for that whole year. Um, and yeah, but at least you got started, right? At least I got started. But yeah. you know, in hindsight, I'm looking back, I'm like, wow, a year of compounding growth at 14. Mm-hmm. I was like, I wish I could take that one back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I was kind of disappointed. It was almost a good thing that the mutual fund did so poorly was that I was like, okay, I, I got to find a better way. Mm-hmm. So I went and I started looking into, I'm like, oh, who does this really, who does this really good? And, you know, of course you end up with the Peter Lynch's back, back, you know, I'm old enough now to say those, those names like Peter Lynch, you know, Warren Buffett's still in mainstream, but when I was kind of starting out, it was all Peter Lynch and, and Warren Buffett. So I started reading their books and they were all about, you know, individual stock picking and everything like that. So I started really trying to get better at traditional uh, traditional assets. So I went through high school. I went to college for the single purposes of trading stocks and uh, getting involved with equities. Uh, but I had the, you know, the fortunate, um, hind- I guess, fortunate hindsight that I went in there right in the smack middle of the recession. So I remember my freshman year, I was going towards like internships. And then like in the middle of my freshman year, it was like, well, the, the, the company that you just, you know, interviewed for is out of business. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. So maybe I need a different career path. Uh, so I went through my bachelor's. I went, I went through my bachelor's. I went through my, uh, I, I graduated my bachelor's and I was like, all right, what am I going to do? I can't get a job in the finance industry. I'm, 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 I'm in New York City and it's still, you know, it's still really, really bad. Uh, so I was like, all right, I guess I got to go get my MBA. I thought that was the logical next step. Uh, so while I was going for my MBA, I got introduced to someone who works for the government. Uh, they kind of recruited me. I was like, wow, this is so much easier. I'm being recruited here. I can't get an internship there. <laughs> I was like, I guess I'm yeah. going to go work for the government for a few years. Uh, and then when I when I actually got my first job, I got my first paycheck. I was like, wow, it's so great. The government's not only my employer, they're also my business partner because they're taking all my money. <laughs> yes, taxes. So I, yeah, so I had that realization. And then I kind of went down the rabbit hole. I was like, well, how can I pay less taxes legally? And that kind of got me to the whole alternative, uh, alternative asset spaces. That's when I kind of got involved with real estate. 
And for the last nine to 10 years, I've been, I still have my traditional portfolio, but I also, for the last 10 years, I've built up my alternative asset portfolio. And what I've realized is that they, too many people in the investment world look at it as a verse situation. Well, you either invest in stocks or you invest in alternative assets. And coming from a perspective, well, I've been investing in traditional assets like stocks for 20 years, and I've been investing in alternative assets for 10 years. I was guilty with keeping them versus for a long time. But when I, where I really saw magic occur is when I started, I started thinking of them as an end situation. Mm. Like, what are the pros and cons of traditional assets? What are the pros and cons of alternative assets? How can they actually be fit together towards one portfolio? Obviously, this is not financial advice, but this was just my own uh, realizations that I can't look at them as two separate things. I got to look at them as one pie. And I could go, I, I don't want to go too much uh, in tangent, but I, we could go into breakdowns on the pros and cons and why I feel that they, they can be married. Oh, I, think really you, well. I, think, yeah. I think you should, Dennis. I think absolutely. And that was going to be my next question. So if somebody, especially if they're in the space of saying, okay, well, I'm identifying with some of what you're sharing. I have been in the traditional space and either I feel that I've outgrown that, or I, I'm not saving the tax that I want to save, or it's too volatile or whatever reason, maybe they're just, maybe you're listening and you're thinking, I've heard of alternative investments. I'm not really sure what they are, what benefits they offer me outside of the traditional investment space. So go ahead and talk to us, Dennis. What exactly does that look like? Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of go specific because alternative spaces are so broad. Uh, you know, it, it's basically anything that's not a traditional asset is an alternative exactly asset. Right, yeah. So I, I, I'm going to be more specific on the alternative assets I focus on complement the cons of what I found in traditional assets. Mm. So what I found when I invested in stocks is even though I like reading analyst reports, even though I feel like I have a good sense, even though I have an MBA, I, when it comes to stock picking, I still don't do better than the index funds. So I kind of came a long way in realizing that that my best strategy is to go with index funds for traditional assets. Now, I at one point I tried to make my traditional portfolio fit all my portfolio needs. That means I wanted appreciation and I wanted income. Now, what I found was when I tried to take my traditional portfolio and I tried to go with what's what's out there as you know high income strategies like REITs, MLPs, closed end funds, utilities, blue chip stocks, those strategies failed over and over and over again. I had three scenarios that always repeated without a doubt. Um, I would have I'll give you one example: uh, GE, blue chip stock. Uh, three years ago, four years ago, I was like, oh, I was looking at it. It was in the 20s. I was like, oh, this has a great 4% yield, whatever it is. Uh, I was like, oh, let me let me buy. Blue Chip's been around for 100 years. You know, that's the traditional uh, advice that's given. I buy GE. Short term, short term later, a rumor gets out there that their cash, their the cash flow that the GE is producing is not enough to pay that dividend. That rumor alone crashed the stock. Now, mm-hmm. as an income investor, you, you get stuck. Now, all of a sudden, you know, the, the yield looks a lot better because the, the stock just went down so much, but you can't really sell because you're going to get a huge hit. And now, all of a sudden, the rumors are coming out. And slowly, for two years, those rumors came out. And if anybody looks at it as stock shock, I put it in my, in my book, it literally went in from the 20s to, to six, mm-hmm. and the dividend got cut to like one cent. 
So that would happen all the time. So, so you would get a situation like that where the blue chip stocks, their reputation means more than what, what's actually happening in reality. Then I would have a, a dividend paying stock that tries to reinvent themselves. And this happened with AT&T. Uh, I, I bought it and it was paying a great dividend. And then they, they went all media and they bought Dish and then they bought uh, all these different aspects and, and Time Warner and, and they tried to become something they're not. And slowly their rock solid dividend, they took on so much debt for everything else, it went out the window. So mm-hmm. what I ended up, I, I went through these strategies. I wanted to go through these strategies. And the last one I did was the REITs and MLPs because they were supposed to be like the the difference makers. Like hey, this and just for just for the listeners, MLP is Master Limited Partnership. Yes. Um, sorry. And, and you're also talking about traded ones, not not non-traded, correct? Correct. Yep. So traded ones, usually in the uh, in the oil and gas industry, uh, a lot of the pipelines are MLPs. So they are considered the, the the reputation that they have is even if the price of the commodity goes down. They're only supposed to be toll collectors. You'll hear the you'll hear the term toll collectors everywhere you look with MLPs. But the truth is, when the oil crashed, these MLPs got crushed as well. So I went through these various different strategies, and the whole time these strategies underperformed my regular index fund. So what I realized is that my index fund was appreciating really well. And it was doing this on autopilot. I could spend 1% of my brain power. And the index fund was doing excellent. Now, where it was lacking was income. You know, a typical index fund today is paying one and one and a half percent. So I realized, okay, I was like, if I really want both income and appreciation, I need to allow the traditional stocks to actually do what they do. And that appreciate on autopilot. And I need to figure out a different solution to actually create income where I'm not worried where the market tanks 20, 30% and all of a sudden there's a dividend cut being forced on the company. Mm-hmm. So that's where I started looking. I said, well, I have, I have this real estate. I had a, a couple of different other funds. I had a couple of different alternative assets. I said, wow, that's really stable. I was looking at it. You know, I, I, I was talking to my securities attorney. I can't use the word no volatility, but it's pretty low volatility because it's not traded on a, an hourly, daily basis. So I looked on the right side. I was like, wow, my right side of my portfolio with all my alternative assets is way better yield. I'm not going to mention any numbers, but it's way better yield and it's much more stable. And then on my left side, it's on autopilot because alternative assets require networking. It requires talking to people. It's, it's kind of almost like I call it being actively passive. I like that. I'm sure Bruce, you do too, because Bruce always says there's no such thing as a passive investment and there really isn't because you have to be actively involved if you really want it to perform. But you said actively passive. Actively passive. And what do you uh, mean by that? It's So to get to the point that you can be passive in alternative assets, you need to know the language of the alternative asset. You need to be able to network with other investors that are in that asset class that can give you unbiased reviews. For example, I invest in apartment buildings, right? And I have built up a network of other investors who invest in apartment buildings. Now, we get pitched deals all the time. So when I get on the phone with a different investor, I could get unbiased, uh, unbiased information saying, well, I invested in his two previous deals. They didn't do that well. And then I could also give them the same information. But 
the time it takes to create that relationship where you can get that unbiased information, because you're not going to get the unbiased information during the first phone call. Hey, I just met you on LinkedIn. Hey, can you tell me everything that you've ever learned about passive investments? So it takes months and years to really develop that relationship. And in order for that relationship to actually bear fruit, you need to know the language and you need to be able to provide value to that, uh, that relationship. So it works both ways. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm, that may be the most valuable thing you said on the podcast, because um, we deal with this all the time. And I, I tell my clients, and I hopefully the listeners understand this, is that the, the fund is obviously important, right? But the people that are managing the fund are the most important part of it because they're able, you, you have to have an understanding that they can actually make pivots at the appropriate time when necessary, that they are not just uh, sitting back and doing the fund, offering the fund and then just sitting back and buy holding it and hoping that it works out. Um, so that, that is a very good point. Thank you for making that point. Yeah. And I'll even take it a step further in my book. Um, I don't know if you want to go into the book now or or later. So so the way I structured my book is I have about nine different asset classes that, um, a typical real estate investor, when they get into, and they start networking, they come across. So what happens is during what I found is in the last two, three years, kind of like the idea for the book was during these last couple of years that I've been networking very diligently, um, I would get into a conversation and I'll be like, well, you know, I only invest in apartment buildings and the person I'm talking to also invests in apartment buildings, but they also do self-storage or mobile home parks or life insurance policies like high equity, the infinite banking concepts. So mm-hmm. you, you start getting introduced and what you realize is that the language is the same. So if you learn the language of mobile home parks, you can apply it almost directly to, to self-storage or apartment buildings because it's all about commercial real estate. It's all about cap rates. There's very few terms that are new when you start looking at these. So they have a lot of synergies, these different asset classes. So I wrote this book saying like, hey, you, know, you might not be aware, but there's a lot of these alternative assets that are very readily available. Uh, and I know you mentioned the credit investor statement before, but in my book, I actually do mention some uh, investments that a non-credit investor can mm-hmm. make. Uh, so it's not like it's just limited, but I like to say you get the full menu if you're accredited. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I wanted to give a high level introduction to these asset classes because I didn't want someone to sit there and say, well, I never thought of investing in mobile home park. Let me read a 300 page book about it. Mm-hmm. I, I put myself in the shoes where I don't want to be that person. So I wanted to give them 15 to 20 pages, high-level introduction, and then go into two Q&As with two expert investors in the space. Now, one of the sections that I think I'm most proud of that I came, that, were rec- that was recommended that I put in was because some of these asset classes have ethical connotations to it. Like one of the asset classes I have is ATM funds. So ATM funds can be looked at as a service, and at the same time, it can be looked at as predatory. So... I wanted to actually include the, I guess, the pros and cons of each asset classes. And one of the ways I did that was I have a section in each chapter called the bad apples. So when you were talking about how an operator is so important to the deal, I wanted to actually include uh, that in these asset classes, they have been Ponzi schemes. They have been. It's, you have to go in there with your eyes wide open. But just because an operator, like the way I like to say it is, just because an, an one operator in the space gets convicted does not mean that all the operators in the space are bad. 
Mm-hmm. So that's why I wanted to say the operate thing, because for example, I, in my book, I, I show a Ponzi scheme on an ATM fund operator. The, the person alleged 4,000 ATM machines and they only had 400. You know, that's just crooked. That's mm-hmm. not the fact that the asset class is crooked. It's just that person is very crooked. You know, it's like saying, hey, invest in this fund. There's 100 apartment buildings. And in reality, there's one. Mm-hmm. So I wanted... Hey, Dennis, yeah. let me... I, I'm just trying to answer the questions I know our listeners have in their heads sure. right now. First of all, <clears throat> what Dennis is referring to as a Ponzi scheme is, is what sometimes has happened is the, they're paying out a distribution, but instead of the distribution coming from the asset, they're actually, they're actually paying it out from in the, the new investor's money. So the, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shadow investment. Now, one of the great things about real estate to do your own due diligence <clears throat> is you can insist on a list of all the real estate, and then you can actually go to the county or the city and actually look up, <clears throat> excuse me, look up who owns these investments and to make sure that these investments are owned. Now, the reason I, I know all this is I'm actually on our due diligence team here at E3 Consultants Group. And uh, not only do we do that, but we actually go on site. I'm actually leaving uh, next Wednesday to actually go into a due diligence um, trip. And we will actually go on site <clears throat> and see these particular buildings. So this is very important. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's very important that you you do your own due diligence when you research these kind of things. I really appreciate you sharing that and the whole idea that you need to understand what you're looking at, but then verifying the ownership and verifying that it's not a Ponzi scheme. I mean, I have seen that happen before my own eyes as well, where you have the investors are being promised a certain return and it's being paid, yes, by the payments being made by other investors. And that is something that is, as you're talking about, very crooked and not the way that you want to be able to count on the performance of the fund and the assets that are supporting the income or the growth that you're that you're gaining. So, so I love that you shared that as it's a really important part of building your alternative investments and your knowledge is to be able to understand what the person's character is who is running the the investment. And you also mentioned something in the networking piece. We have a couple threads that we're um, pulling together here, but you had mentioned back when we were looking at the difference between stocks and the alternative or non-traditional assets, really one of the main things is producing the income, but you said you need to do the networking and not just learn the language, but you said specifically, it's important to have something to offer, not just to take from an alternative investment. So you're saying that there's a give and take, there's a symbiotic nature of relationships when you're in the alternative space. It's not just, they do all the work and I participate, right? So can you, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, I would say 100%. And I think what a lot of new investors, they fall into a trap of trying to provide artificial value mm. instead of just letting it come to them. Uh, so one of the things like I wrote about in the book is how I went. I went to a, uh, how I started my networking is just really simple. Uh, I went to a, I used LinkedIn to actually learn the language of real estate uh, because LinkedIn can get a little spammy sometimes. But if you actually do the calls just to pick up the language, I think that helps to create a base. Uh, but then when I went to a conference, I actually, I tried to focus on quality versus quantity. And when I started reaching out to those people, you start realizing that if you talk to one person, they say, well, I'm looking for a deal in Charlotte. 
And, you know, obviously you might not have something at that moment, but a week later, you might be talking to a fourth investor or something in your network and they, they'll, they'll just mention it. They're like, oh, I just did a deal in, in Charlotte. And then you just connect them. And that's it. You don't you don't charge a, a, a broker fee. You don't charge anything. You you just do a nice courteous email, CC both of them, and say, hey, I know you. I remember you mentioned something about Charlotte. This is my friend Dan. He just did a deal in Charlotte. Maybe you guys can connect. And mm-hmm. that's it. And like if you do that, it pays in dividends a hundred times because. Mm-hmm. In my book, the, the Q&As that I got, some of the names that I got, I, in a million years, I didn't think they would ever say yes to participate in, in the book. But they all said yes, because you know, at one time or another, I might have referred someone to them. Or you know, it, it, it really is the real estate world and alternative assets, because you're really looking out for each other. You, you get that feeling more than other places. That is excellent. And I think we have so many additional places we could go in this conversation. So is there anything that you wanted to finalize on kind of wrapping up where you see this healthy marriage of traditional stocks and the index fund you were mentioning and the alternative investments and kind of how they complement each other? Yeah. So I I think it's more for people who are frustrated with the different income strategies that are in play. For traditional assets, like if, if you went through, you know, ten strategies like I've done, and they've each all failed, I think the problem is then you get into that. I think the Einstein quote, where insanity is repeating mm-hmm. something and expecting different results. It's just what I learned is that because of because the stock market gives you liquidity, it also gives you volatility. Now, it's a funny story about that is that I was I started doing a couple of posts. And one of my posts was that, you know, one of the best things about alternative assets is the lack of liquidity. (laughs) And I got a text message from my older brother like 10 minutes later. He goes, you got to remove this is an error. I said, no, no, you got to you got to read the actual like the article that I wrote about this. And the point is, you do want certain amount of liquidity in your portfolio. You just don't want to be 100 percent liquid. You know, that's when emotions get, get into play. And that's where alternative assets are really, really well suited for. You can't, you can't, like my apartment building investment, sometimes I'm only buying 1% of the building. I can't go readily trade that. Uh, So, you know, you get into a situation where like during COVID, where there were REITs that were down 34%. In commercial real estate, there was nothing being traded. So you were, you were flat. So that's right. where that's where you you can you can see like a lot of people are like well if I'm going to invest in real estate I'm just going to do it through REITs but I'm like okay but then you're not taking advantage of the fact that, that you want a little lack of liquidity yeah let's 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 clear that up a little bit Dennis you're still referring to to traded REITs yes yes because yes. there are non traded REITs also correct so Dennis says uh, uh, the REITs were down 30, 33, 40, whatever percentage. It was the traded ones because people panicked because they said, "Oh my goodness, all the all these these retailers are going to go out of business. All these people are pulling out of the office buildings because they're telling their people to go work at home." And and people are like, "Oh my goodness, we got to pull out." Non-traded REITs, however, uh, performed very very well during that time period, and that is because they have they knew their capital was going to be stable that entire time. They didn't have to liquidate unnecessarily. And they performed very, very well during COVID. And so uh, just, just so that our listeners understand, when he says REITs, he is talking about the traded REITs, just like any other security traded on the stock exchange. 
Thank you for clarifying that. Absolutely. So, Dennis, as we're wrapping towards a close here, can you tell us um, if you're in the position of wanting to get involved in the alternative space and kind of saying, okay, I'm not really sure how to build this network. Talk about how to build a network from starting from zero, and then we can talk a little bit more about your book as well. Yeah, so I think the best thing to do is go in there with your eyes wide open and understand that you shouldn't. Be, alternative assets tend to be more expensive when you buy them than publicly traded securities. Publicly traded securities, you could buy penny stocks, whatever it is. Alternative assets, the minimums are much much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to go in there with expectations that you're not going to buy anything from day one. So you want to go to the best thing to do is there's a lot of conferences out there. Uh, there are you know tons of LinkedIn events where operators just do webinars. And the best place to start is honestly, is just to take in as much educational content as possible. Uh, and then you could kind of zero in on what you really, really like. Uh, like apartment buildings have a very different model than self-storage. The language is similar, but a very, very different model. Same thing with mobile home parks, same thing with uh, ATM funds and life insurance policies. They all have very, very different models. You have to find out what what's actually right for you uh, in terms of your comfort level. Uh, so apartment building, uh, I'll give you guys an example. Apartment buildings, for example, is pretty easy to network with other apartment building investors. Uh, it's, it's a very popular space. Life insurance settlements will be a much more difficult uh, process in actually networking with. So I think it's more about your comfort level. It also is about how what your personal background is. Uh, for example, I do have a chapter about startup techs. And one of the reasons is because one of my partners is a startup tech guy. So he has the ability to really analyze a deal and I trust and I trust his ability to do so. So if you have someone in your network that you could the current network that you can leverage off. And then once you actually get into the space, then actually try to um, create a cal- what I call it as a calendar system. So mm. once you get five people that you have a connection with, then what you do is instead of leaving off the email and saying, I hope, hope, hope we could talk soon, just say, hey, is it okay if we do a quarterly call? I'll schedule the first one in two months on this date. And what that does is that fosters the relationship. Uh, don't put it on their, their, their shoulders. You know, they might be busier than you or whatever the situation is. Just try to schedule a date and time. Now, once, once you get it to that date and time, try to be prepared. Try to actually take some notes after the call so that the next quarterly call, you could build on the relationship where it's not like, oh, what did we talk about last time? And if you do this over and over again, they'll start referring you to some people in their network. You're going to keep building up your network. You don't need a huge network. You just need a quality network where every phone call, you're learning something, you're being introduced to maybe a different operator, and you can perform due diligence together. Everything like that, it it works by putting in the time. But don't be lazy about it. Don't just say, hey, uh, hopefully we can talk soon. You know, I think this is a really important thing to know about any new thing that you start, any new skill that you develop. There is going to be a learning curve. There are going to be um, the language that you need to learn. And sometimes I think we can run away from that because it seems unnerving. It's new. It's different. And yet at the same time, every single thing that is good is on the other side of choosing to grow. And so it's always putting yourself in that uncomfortable space of knowing, hey, look, I am a beginner here and I'm going to figure this this system out or figure out how to network and how to 
speak the language correctly and how to provide value in this space so that I can invest in a way that really does work for me. So um, I just, I'm hearing that through what you're sharing. And I think that is applicable to anyone at any stage of any level of doing anything worth doing in their financial life. So let's talk a little bit more about your book, The Alternative Investment Almanac. Why did you write it? And what does this book answer? Thank you. Uh, Yeah. So I was having a conversation with an investor, uh, one of my networking calls, and we were just talking about like how cool some of the opportunities that we come across every single day by being, you know, alternative investment space. Like a year ago, two years ago, I went to a winery where they were redoing the winery and just like an apartment building, but their business model was all about weddings. Uh, But it was really cool. We were, we were, we were touring in hard hats and we were going to like these old cigar rooms where, you know, 1930s Atlantic City, you know, uh, it, it had so much history in it, but we were given these opportunities. And so I was talking to this investor and I was like, wow, you know, like a lot of people don't understand how cool this stuff is. And I was like, I would really love to just talk about like some of the stuff we're encountering. And that's kind of where the whole idea came about. I, I wanted to do a, a book where it's short, it's concise per chapter. You don't have to read the whole book all the way through. You could pick up, uh, you could pick up the self-storage chapter and just read that chapter if you want. Uh, the first couple of chapters is introduction, kind of how I really came to this, this mindset and this space. But then once it gets into the actual assets, it's all independent of each other. But you could, if you do read them, uh, throughout, you'll see how they actually build on each other. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to let the you know average investor understand that alternative investments do not have to be a huge mystery. They are very, very, you know, they're there. Like you can take advantage of them. They have tons of pros. Um, you also want, I also have a tendency to get overly excited by things that that I think is great. You know, if I invest in something for 20 years and I'm like, wow, the, you know, the, the, risk reward for some of these alternative assets are really, really attractive. But if I tried to talk about that in a barbecue setting, you know, the conversation would be like, well, do you invest in crypto? And then I'm like, no, no, that's not what I'm trying to say. There's all these great stuff over here. So I wanted a place to actually share that with people who are looking for that type of information where they're not looking to day trade. They're not looking to do it. They're looking for, you know, ability to add income to their, to their portfolios. And there's like a whole world of investments that are actually out there to do that, to do that. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you having written that book and when did it launch? Was it real recent? Yes, it is literally this week. It was, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I wrote it in like two, three months and I thought I was like, wow, this is, this is great. Uh, I spent like every moment of my life on that book. Uh, but then all the editing and the formatting took way more than I ever expected. But I am happy to say it is actually on Amazon, I think, as we speak. Well, congratulations. And that is a huge accomplishment. I'm uh, in the finishing stages. I shouldn't say finishing. I have a book almost ready to go to the editors. And so uh, I am about to hopefully not be baffled by how long that process does take as well. You're 99% done with the 1%. Don't worry. Yes, exactly. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Encouraging uh, enough. Love it. Rachel, just to let you know, I, I just purchased it nice. on Amazon. So that's it for people that are listening or watching. Yeah. So the Alternative Investment Almanac and the tagline is Expert Insights on Building Personal Wealth in Non-Traditional Ways. Yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. 
Awesome. Well, um, we could talk on and on for a very long time. And one thing that you did mention was alternative investments specifically related to infinite banking. And that's something that we talk about regularly on the show where infinite banking is this opportunity for being in a place where you have a great place to store cash that's growing with dividends and interest. And then you have this capability to borrow against it and use that cash to invest for things that will produce an income stream. And when you do that, that gives you this supercharging ability to continue to grow your cash even faster and be in a position of safety and control. And really what that does is it allows you to be able to provide this legacy to future generations, no matter what you end up producing with your life. And so I just wanted to add on to that piece that you'd mentioned, infinite banking a couple of times. So Dennis, how can someone reach out and get in touch with you if they do want to find out more beyond reading the book? Um, you can tell them how they can get the book on Amazon, but we already just mentioned that as well. And how do they connect with you if they're interested in what you offer with alternative investments? Sure. So the best place is www.sihcapitalgroup.com. Uh, and if you just click the learn more button, I'm having an actual abridged version of the book. It's going to be live this week. So when you sign up, you'll actually get the abridged version of the whole book. And I have tons of educational content on different alternative assets. Um, yeah. And, you know, I love to connect and anybody feel free to reach out. That's excellent. Well, thank you, Bruce. Any closing words that you want to share before I wrap us up? No, I think uh, I just want to emphasize the fact that people have to do their own due diligence. Uh, any of these investments, just like the stock market, there's no guarantee of results. Uh, <clears throat> when these funds are written, uh, if, you, if you go by reading the PPMs, uh, you would never invest in them because the SEC tries to scare you and everything. But if you read a mutual fund prospectus, it's the same thing. It's absolutely the same thing. So it's very odd because a lot of people will hide behind and say, oh, you don't want to do those alternative investments because they got a lot of risk. And yet the mutual funds have the same, same risk uh, portfolio and as in their portfolio. And, but as uh, Dennis said, there are different types of pros and cons. And so what you and I actually did a talk on this a couple of weeks ago in Scottsdale. It's, it's not either or, it's and. This is what you get and you get this also. We, we talked the same thing about uh, specially designed life insurance contract. It's not an either or, it's an and X asset that you can help. So if people remember that, uh, we're not talking badly about mutual funds. We're not talking badly about stocks. We're not talking badly about alternative investments. We're not talking badly about cash value life insurance. They all offer different things and a person needs to have that to smooth out their entire financial life. And that's what you really need to keep in mind. Absolutely. Excellent. And Bruce, thank you for bringing that capstone on to the show and just the perspective here. It is an and world and really figuring out how you can maximize your money to do the most with it. So if you are interested in that conversation, you can click on over to themoneyadvantage.com and you can book an appointment with our advisor team who are waiting to help you figure out the lay of your land, your financial picture today, and how to maximize your assets to increase your predictability and control and your cash flow. So I would love to invite you to do that. Please also like this video and subscribe on wherever you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, or if you're seeing this later on LinkedIn, and we would encourage you in closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business that you love. 
Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.